Thank you. All right, so we've been through 1 Timothy 1, 2, and 3 this summer. And if you ask me, it's been a pretty successful summer, having, having a bunch of different guys teach. It's been really cool for me to be able to see some of you guys teach. It's been cool for me to help some of you as you prepare your message. Um, thank you guys. You did a great job. And like, like round of applause worthy. Good job. So. And so now we're, we're done with the summer. Fall's officially started, and I thought it made sense for us to continue through 1 Timothy by jumping into chapter 4 with you tonight. So we're just going to keep going in 1 Timothy. Uh, maybe we'll take a break for Christmas. We'll see what's going on. But there's a lot of good stuff in 1 Timothy. Um, and, and like you'll see tonight, it's, it's pretty applicable to what we see uh, going on in, in our world and in Christianity today. And um, man, there's just a lot of things we can learn about owning and being responsible for for our own ministry. And so there's a lot of good stuff in the rest of this book, and so it makes sense to hit it while we're already here. I don't want to go on to something else and then come back to this later. Sound good? Sounds good. because that's what I prepared to talk about. So if, if you guys weren't on board with that, we were going to be in trouble. Um, but our passage tonight in 1 Timothy 4 uh, covers the difference between good ministers and bad ministers. Um, and so if you see on your study sheet, our passage tonight is 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. So Turn there if you haven't already. Um, And you also notice that your study sheet has the blanks on it, and that's because our secretary is out, and I didn't think to erase the words from the blanks before I printed them. So there you go. Um, I've done all your work for you tonight. So so you can just pay attention and and hear what God's got going on. You don't have to be so distracted by writing those four words on your sheet. Um, But like I said, our passage tonight covers the difference between being good ministers and bad ministers. And I think you'll find that particularly applicable before we're done tonight. Because we're not like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Because when Glenda asked her if she was a good witch or a bad witch, she could answer that she wasn't a witch. But when our study sheet's asking us if we're a good minister or a bad minister, we can't answer that we're not a minister. This is great. (laughs) We can't answer that we're not a minister. Sure, you might not be paid to be a minister, but you've given your li- if you've given your life to Christ, he's made you a minister. So not being a minister is not an option, which means you're either a good one or a bad one. Don't take my word for it. Let's read 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. And there's a lot of good stuff in these verses. But before we dive in, notice how the chapter starts. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. So the Holy Spirit, you'll note the capital S on the word Spirit, which means it's the Holy Spirit, is speaking expressly, which just means simply, plainly, or directly. He's not beating around the bush. He's not using enticing words like man's wisdom uses. If you look at 1 Corinthians 2, 4, 
talks about using enticing words uh, of man's wisdom. That's not how the Spirit's talking here. He's using simple, plain words that are easy for us to understand. And the second thing I want to notice is that this passage is talking specifically about a time referred to as the latter times. It's not like the time that you climb up to get to the roof. Ladder is spelled with T's. And the word ladder just refers to the part that's closer to the end than to the beginning. So biblically, the latter times are going to point us to the time approaching the return of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, describe this time period as the last days. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And tell me if you think these, uh, these things that uh, this passage describes here kind of remind you of what's going on in our world. Verse 2 says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And we'll come back to that passage before we're done tonight. But the thing we need to keep in mind is that the latter times, these last days, they describe the time in which we live. We're living in the latter times. So what Paul is warning of here is that is stuff that we should really pay attention to because he describes bad ministers, things we should look out for. And then he describes good ministers at the end. So we'll dig through both of those tonight. Hopefully, it's obvious which of those two you should want to be. Hopefully you didn't walk in the door thinking, oh, I want to be a bad minister. Maybe I'll learn how to do that tonight. Um, But you will learn how to be a bad minister tonight if that's what you're here for. Um, So tonight we'll get some ideas of how to make sure we're being the right kind of minister. And obviously we want to be good ministers. So first let's look at number one, how to be a bad minister. And that's what we see in verses one through five. Um, So like I said, if you came here tonight looking for ideas on how to be a bad minister, you came on the right night. We don't always talk about this. Because our passage tonight covers that specifically. Things that, that bad ministers do, uh, that's what we're going to look through. And so the first thing you can do if you want to be a bad minister is letter A, depart from the faith. And this is where it all starts. And let me start this part by making sure we understand that departing from the faith is not referring to people losing their salvation. That's not something you can do. Once you trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to pay for your sins, you can't go back on that even if you tried. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and Ephesians 4.30 tells us that that seals you until the day of redemption, until you're fully redeemed when this life is over. So we're not talking about losing your salvation. Uh, Don't worry about that. That's not the faith that's being referred to here, because sometimes in the Bible the phrase the faith refers to the body of truth that God has revealed to us. And for us today, the body of God's revealed truth can be found in the Bible. And 1 Timothy 3, 9, remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, tells us we're to be holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And so that's something that we're to hold. And at one time, the entire truth of the Bible wasn't available. It was a mystery. But now it's been revealed and we can hold it in our hands. We can interact with it whenever we want which is actually a pretty cool thing if you think about it. Not everybody in history got to be able to do that. We actually have the words of God that we can hear from anytime we want to open it. But too often it just sits on our shelf and collects dust. But that's why it's so important that we hold to that truth because God's words don't change. It's not like we open to 1 Timothy 4 tonight and have to wonder what it says this week. 
because it says the same thing it did last week. It says the same thing it will next week. But people depart from the faith when they decide to leave the truth of the words of God. And you see this more and more as time goes on. People who at one time held the word of God in such high esteem and and taught it well, they just decide that the words of God aren't accurate anymore. They decide that the words of God aren't enough anymore, and they have to seek wisdom from other places in order to be effective ministers. That's what they think in their mind. And in in so doing, they cripple their ability to grow, and they cripple their ability to be used by God. Because God's word, his truth, is the only real source of growth in a person's life. And that's sad, because the idea of people departing from the faith implies that they were in it at some point. You can't leave a house you weren't in at one point. So you can't depart from the faith if you weren't in it. So when we see people depart from the faith, they're leaving the truth that they once knew to be true. You don't want to be that guy. We've all seen people who do that. And man, it doesn't, it doesn't work out for them because they're departing from the words of God. They're losing its effect in their life. And that's going to, if you do that, that's going to cripple your ability to minister to others. That's why Colossians 1 expresses the importance of continuing in the faith. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 23 says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So we're supposed to continue in the faith, grounded and settled. We're supposed to be rooted to it. And if you look at Colossians 1 26, it says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. And praise the Lord, God's made himself manifest. He's shared his truth with us. We have the truth in the word of, words of God. So don't toss that aside for any reason. But we know that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. That's what 1 Timothy 4 tells us. And that indicates to us that as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, more and more previously able ministers will decide to chuck the word of God. They're done with it. 2 Thessalonians describes this event for us uh, potentially describes this as event for us as a falling away. Second Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So before that day, and in context of that chapter, that day is referring to the day of Christ, and based on what that passage says, it seems like the day of Christ involves the rapture of the church. And it says, before that happens, there will come a falling away first. And again, you can't really fall away from something unless you're at it to begin with. And we could have discussions on what we think this prophesied falling away is. I can't actually say for sure. But it's safe to assume that whatever it is starts with a departure from the truth. People leave what they know to be true in pursuit of something else. They fall away from pursuing the truth of God. Remember how... Uh, 2 Timothy 3 describes people living in the last days. We looked at this passage earlier. It goes through that list, the lovers of of their own selves, covetous boasters. You get down to verse 4, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So in the last days, there'll be a bunch of people who have a form of godliness. What they do and how they live appears to be godly, but it's not real. They deny the power of it. So they'll make themselves appear to be godly, but really they won't be. And the Bible tells us to turn away from those guys. So those guys who appear godly but aren't, may or may not be guys who at one time were godly. And the problem is it can be hard for us to tell whether or not somebody's actually godly 
or whether they just have a form of godliness because it looks godly. And we'll talk more about godliness next week, but man, don't forget the past three weeks that we've been talking about specific character qualities that qualify a person for a leadership role in ministry. We've talked through 1 Timothy 3 about the qualifications for a pastor. Nick covered that, and then Wyatt covered the qualifications for a deacon. And those character qualities, man, they give us a quick way to identify whether a person is a good minister or a bad minister. Those are the qualities God gave us to look for. And so we can see how well or how poorly their life demonstrates those character qualities because those external qualities were given by God to make sure somebody is internally doing what they should be doing. So a faker can try to hide it, but if you're looking for the right things, their real character is going to reveal itself in various ways if you pay attention. Now that's not to say any leader is perfect. Any leader is going to struggle at one point or another, but remember in those weeks we talked about those character qualities being patterns for your life. So obviously give people the benefit of the doubt, but if they don't consistently display some of those character qualities in their life, there's a chance they may not be as genuine about their growth in the word of God as you, as you once thought. So if you want to be a bad minister, man, this is a great place, to, great place to start. Depart from the faith. Just stop caring about what the Bible says. Start caring more about what scholars say. Start caring more about what philosophers and quote-unquote scientists say. Just set the word of God on the back burner and Stop letting it shape and affect your life. It's pretty simple, really. You want to be a bad minister, start there. And I speak in jest, but sadly, Christians in our world do this all the time. I just read the other day um, in some Christian magazine that something like 62% of people who self-identify as born-again Christians in America, they don't think the Holy Spirit is a real living being. 62%. They identify him as merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Man, that's a major doctrine for 62% of Christians to just chuck because they don't understand it. Understanding that is part of understanding who God is. And over half of the Christians miss it because they're not rooted in truth. So don't depart from the faith. Hold to the words of God. Allow them to continue changing you. But another thing you can do if you want to be a bad minister, letter B, give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we'll get into what seducing spirits and what doctrines of devils are, at least at a basic level. Um, But first, we have to make sure we understand what giving heed means. Giving heed just means yielding to or giving priority to. It's actually a similar idea to what we talked about in previous weeks about being given to wine. When you give heed to something, you're allowing it to have control. You're you're like letting go of the steering wheel and letting it grab the steering wheel so that it it can drive or you're allowing it to have a place in your mind where it doesn't belong. I think of it like a yield sign. Do you guys love yield signs while you're driving? Is anybody actually not sure what to do at a yield sign? Because I think it depends on where it is. Like, I think different towns have different rules on yield signs. I'm not actually sure what to do when I get to it, so I just, like, go. (laughs) That is the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Because the idea is when you hit a yield sign... You should check to see if other things are coming. If there is, you allow them to pass before you do. You don't have to stop if no one is coming, but you do have to stop or slow down if there is. You let them go first. So when you yield to something or give heed to it, you just allow it priority. You don't make it stop. You allow it through unhindered. 
That's important to note because we have to recognize that seducing spirits and doctrines of devils exist, and they're going to continue existing. But a bad minister allows them to operate unhindered in their lives and in their ministries. That's why 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those seducers wax, which, which means grow. I always think of that because I remember learning about the moon when I was in elementary school. A waxing gibbous means it's getting larger. Waning means it's smaller. That was free. Um, but these seducers wax or grow worse and worse. And the result is that they deceive others. So the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils are going to be rooted in deception. That shouldn't surprise us because that's been Satan's tactic since the Garden of Eden. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the way the serpent beguiled or deceived Eve, that same methodology works on human minds today. It can corrupt us from the simplicity in Christ. And if you look back at Genesis 3, we can see that methodology. We won't take the time to go through that story tonight. Most of us are probably familiar with it. But if you look back there, you'll see that the serpent got Eve to question the words of God. And the questioning of the words of God is what led her to sin. So departing from the faith, the revealed truth we find in God's words, will result in us giving these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils unfettered access to our minds, our lives, and our ministry, corrupting the way we think and understand and our understanding of the Lord. You don't want to end up as part of that 62% of Christians who don't understand what the Holy Spirit is. That's why 2 Peter 2.14 says of those who walk after the flesh, says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart that have and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. So if you want to be a bad minister, give heed to seducing spirits. And when you do that, you'll allow yourself to be beguiled. And that's what leads you to believe the doctrines of devils, meaning you depart from the faith even more. And that's why it's so important to be grounded and settled in God's word, in the faith, like Paul says in Colossians 1.23. And what are the doctrines of devils? Well, it's actually pretty simple. You can find the doctrines of devils by finding doctrine that's contrary to what you've learned or what you see in the Bible. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Verse 18, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches, deceiving the hearts of the simple. So man, doctrines of devils sound like good doctrines. They're good words, they're fair speeches, but if they don't line up with what the Word of God says, it's not sound doctrine. And if it's not sound doctrine, then it's just not true. And if it's not true, it's a lie. And if it's a lie, chances are good it comes from the father of lies, the devil. That's why Paul calls this stuff the doctrines of devils. So don't give heed to that stuff. Stop it in its tracks. The point is to know the real thing, to know the real truth of the Bible as well as you can, because it makes spotting the fake stuff easier. And if someone is teaching you false doctrine, man, again, give them the benefit of the doubt first. Talk to them about why you think it's not accurate. But if they keep teaching false doctrine and you know it's false because it's contrary to the word of God, man, do what the Bible says. Mark them and avoid them. That's how you stop bad doctrine in its tracks before it infects 
more and more unstable souls. We need to help souls get stable by rooting them in the truth of the Bible. So the next thing you can do if you want to be a bad minister is letter C, speak lies in hypocrisy. And this involves having your conscience seared with a hot iron. So speaking lies in hypocrisy involves violating your conscience. And when you violate your conscience enough, you no longer feel it the way you normally would. Man, you remember when you were a kid how powerful your conscience was? Like, you lied to your parents, and man, they found out, and you're just like, I'm going to die. My parents know I lied to them, and I'm going to be sent to my room, and I'm going to get grounded. Like, you just felt terrible. Well, the older you get, the more you lie, the less that affects you. And so, like, when your conscience is seared, you don't really feel it the way you normally would. It stops affecting you because it becomes seared. And so this is different than just saying something incorrect. Speaking lies and hypocrisy is different than just saying something wrong. You can speak lies on accident. Uh, if you think something is true but it's not, and you're saying it to people, well, you're saying a lie, but, but you don't know it's a lie. So if you don't know what you're saying isn't true, then that's not quite what speaking lies and hypocrisy is getting at. Though you should still try to make sure you don't do that. That's a smart thing to do. Know what you're saying is true before you say it. But speaking lies and hypocrisy is lying on purpose. Speaking lies and hypocrisy means you know what you're saying is a lie. And that's so much worse. The best example we have of this, in my opinion, in the Bible, is the example of the Pharisees. Um, man, these guys were just hypocrites to the core. Jesus pointed this out time and time again. Um, Matthew 23 is a good example of that. He says to him, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? That's some hardcore stuff Jesus is saying to these guys. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, Barachias, sorry, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. So man, these Pharisees, they made themselves to, out to be all high and mighty. They followed the law to a T more than anybody else. But the truth of it is, they were as wicked as they come. And eventually, they killed Jesus, accusing him of being guilty for all sorts of ridiculous stuff that they knew wasn't true. They were lying, and they, were, they ended up murdering the guy who could have been their savior. Oh, but don't you worry. You know, on their way to have Jesus murdered, they made sure to not enter the wrong building so they wouldn't be defiled. John 18, 28 says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They weren't allowed to eat government... They weren't allowed to go in government buildings before they ate the Passover because they'd be unclean. So to make sure they could still eat the Passover, they didn't enter the judgment hall, even though the act of murdering Jesus would have prevented them from being able to eat the Passover with a pure conscience because they were killing the guy that that Passover represented. They were hypocrites. Their consciences were seared, and every lie they spoke about Jesus was spoken in hypocrisy. 
Stephen was right in Acts 7.52 when he calls them betrayers and murderers. But hey, at least they were clean for the Passover, right? At least they could uphold the convenient laws while they broke all the other ones. That whole don't murder people thing, that's, that's a pretty tricky one to, to, to not break. So if you want to be a bad minister, man, speak lies and hypocrisy. Ignore your con- conscience until it shuts up and goes away. Be like the Pharisees. Look through the Gospels. See all the things the Pharisees did and said and just do, like, repeat after them. The fourth thing you can do to be a bad minister is be a legalist. That's letter D. And you can be a legalist by inventing rules and regulations for people to live by that that don't exist in Scripture for our lives today. Verse 3 in our passage tonight specifically talks about guys who forbid marriage and those who commanded to abstain from meats. Now, many people will point out that forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, that was the practice of of the Gnostics back when Paul wrote this letter, and I'm sure that's true, mostly because I don't care enough to try to prove it wrong. But we can't think that this is the extent of what's being discussed here. We can't just think, oh, well, that's Paul's little jab at the Gnostics. You know how Paul likes to do that, and then, and then just walk away. We need to take this to heart as well. Because bad ministers go around all the time making up commands for people and enforcing them on their lives. And Genesis 2.21 calls this frustrating the grace of God. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And so the point is, if some law could provide righteousness for people, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for our sins. If we could pay for them ourselves, why wouldn't God just ask us to do that? So, So with these specific examples mentioned in 1 Timothy 4, The Bible doesn't forbid anyone to marry uh, another person. It doesn't forbid a man from marrying a woman or a woman marrying from a man. So we shouldn't do that either. The Bible doesn't tell us to abstain from eating meats. So we shouldn't tell other people to abstain from eating meats. Christians do these things all the time, though. Not always these two things specifically. Uh, There's any number of things that the Bible doesn't command everybody to do, but Christians say, well, this is how I feel, so this is what we're all going to do. But we shouldn't miss the fact that there is one particular group of people, a group that claims to be a Christian denomination, who who actually do these two specific things, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And we don't have to get into too much detail, but think about it. Which denomination of Christians forbid their leaders from marrying? Which denomination of Christians tell you that there are times when you can and can't eat meat? I'll give you a hint. It's the largest denomination in the world, and it's the source of many doctrines of devils. (laughs) Denomination. Demonination. Um. (laughs) Romans 14, 1 through 3 is clear. Eat what you want, so don't command people to abstain from meats. You can abstain from meats if you want, weirdo, but don't force that on other people. (laughs) Hebrews 13, 4 says that marriage is honorable in all, so don't suggests that some people aren't allowed to get married. In fact, if you remember from three weeks ago, from 1 Timothy 3.2, one of the qualifications of a pastor is to be the husband of one wife. So yeah, pastors are clearly able to be married. Praise the Lord. Uh, A lot of pastors would be sad if they couldn't get married because all the pastors I know are married. Um, And actually, the only grounds to forbid or, or strongly suggest against a man for marrying a woman or from a woman marrying a man, is if a Christian is wanting to marry a non-Christian. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 
14 through 16 talks about not being unequally yoked together with non-believers. So there are cases where, you know, clearly the Bible says you shouldn't marry someone else. If, if you're following the Lord and your, your would-be spouse has no relationship with the Lord, then, then the Bible tells you not to attach yourself to an unbeliever. But forbidding men and women from marrying beyond that, it's legalism. So, it, so we don't need to invent these roles in the church where, well, this, this guy, he's not allowed to be married because he's teaching all the time and he doesn't have time to take care of a wife or whatever other excuse we can come up with. It's just not biblical. So if you want to be a bad minister, man, there's your, four, there's your list of four things you can do to get started. Depart from the faith, give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speak lies and hypocrisy, and be a legalist. So if you came here tonight expecting to hear how to be a bad minister, I guess you can pack up and go home now. Um, hopefully the rest of us want to be good ministers, and that's what we'll see in this second section, number two, how to be a good minister. And it shouldn't surprise you to know that most of being a good minister is just not doing the things from the how to be a bad minister section. Don't depart from the faith. Don't speak lies and hypocrisy. Stay rooted in truth and stuff like that. But verse 6 also mentions two specific things that good ministers should do. 1 Timothy 4, 6 again says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So the first thing a good minister will do here is put the brethren in remembrance of these things. So letter A is teach people these things. So what are these things that I'm supposed to be putting the brethren in remembrance of? Well, it's the stuff we've talked about tonight. Watch out for bad dudes who are going to try to seduce and deceive the members of the body of Christ, pulling them away from the truth of the words of God. But these things will also include all the stuff we've been talking about all, the sum, all, all summer long, all the things that Paul was writing to Timothy, which is all the stuff that we should be doing if we want to be good, responsible, and faithful ministers of Christ. That's what we're to put the brethren in remembrance of. So to really be a good minister, you have to teach others to be a good minister. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So a good minister is going to be faithful, and they're going to use what they've been given to teach and to lead others. That's discipleship. That's ministry. And if you do that, you'll be a good minister. And this next thing that good ministers do actually enhances their ability to do that, and that's letter B, continue growing in sound doctrine. And this goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about all night. You want to recognize bad doctrine, you want to recognize bad ministers? Well, you have to know legit doctrine, and you have to know legit ministers in order to properly do that. That's why it's so important for us to do what Colossians 1.23 says. I know we keep coming back to this verse, man, but it's good. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Um, man, you want to be a good minister, you can't let go of that book. You can't be moved from it. You have to be in it every day and have it affecting your life on a daily basis. I think of what the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. So man, that should be true of us. We shouldn't move away from the simple truth of God's words. We can't allow ourselves to be moved away from the truth of God's word, from the simplicity in Christ. We have to remain rooted to it if we want to grow. You know, a plant isn't going to grow unless it has roots. We're not going to grow unless we have roots in the word of God either. And the cool thing is that we're 
is that we're lucky enough to find ourselves at a church that understands that. And if you want to take your growth with the Lord seriously, man, this is a place where you can do that. Our church has a path of growth that can help you keep your hands on the Bible as you understand more and more. Troy talked about it uh, probably like a month ago on a Sunday morning. He sort of laid out the path of growth for us. And that path starts with you faithfully coming to church on Sunday and to the well on Tuesday. So you're here. Great job. But if you want to take your growth to the next level, then man, come to 9 a.m. training hour classes on Sunday mornings before church. I know it's another hour, but it's good. It's always a good time to dig deeper into some Bible study about a particular topic. We're currently a couple weeks into a class on the seven resurrections, so man, come join us at 9 o'clock. And if you're really wanting to commit to growing, man, sign up for personal discipleship. We'll get you paired up with another church member who will meet with you one-on-one and start guiding you through the truth of the Bible to help you learn and to study on your own. And after that, we got MTT classes and LFBI classes, and we actually just started those. So if you finish personal discipleship and you're not involved in those classes, you sort of miss the boat, but it's okay. The boat comes back around every year, um, so don't miss it next fall. But that's how you can be a good minister, which is hopefully what you actually want. Hopefully that's what you want from your life because it's what God wants for your life. And speaking of good ministers, I actually have some exciting news for you tonight. Um, You know, I've had more than one person this summer approach me and say, Corey, what what have you been doing all summer while everyone else is teaching for you on Tuesday nights? Um, Well, this is kind of what I've been working on. I haven't been sitting on my hands all summer. Not that it's any of your business. I have other responsibilities (laughs) beyond just teaching Tuesday nights. But after we got rolling in 1 Timothy, I started to think about what we should move on to in the fall, and God started laying some things on my heart. Um, You know, the well is is a pretty cool place to be right now. It's not because I'm here. It's not because me and Trisha are here, but I look around the, the people in the well and realize how involved most of you are in other areas of our church serving in ministry. And there's a lot of you that, either, that are either almost done or completely done with MTT, and a handful of you are taking LFBI classes. And because of your pursuit of your personal growth, you've also become leaders in our church. You're involved in various ministries, specifically in positions of responsibility and leadership and regular teaching and preaching. And then we all come together on Tuesday night to hear from the Lord and to fellowship. It's a pretty cool thing. It's a cool environment to be a part of. Um, It's actually like a treat for me to be in the position I am because you guys are great. But God started to lay on my heart that I don't really have any way in my ministry to offer opportunities that involve responsibility, leadership, and regular teaching and preaching. And sure, I had a bunch of guys teach over the summer, and that was awesome. Planning on doing it again next year. Um, You guys all did great. But that once-in-a-while teaching is, is great for getting teaching experience. It's not really the type of ministry responsibility and leadership role that I like to be offering. And so I looked around at, at the other life groups. The Well is a life group at First Baptist Church, and there's five or six others. I kind of looked at how those worked, and all those life groups have a leader, but they also have two or three other leaders that kind of help the main leader out, and as a group, They share the teaching load, the planning, and the decision-making. And sure, you got the one guy in charge, but those co-leaders, if you want to call them that, share some of the responsibility of making that group function. 
And my thought was, well, why can't, why can't I do that here? If I got all these, if I got all these capable ministers who are serving uh, everywhere, anywhere and everywhere, why, why can't we do that here? Not that I mind teaching every week. I actually enjoy it a lot. It's been a weird summer for me uh, to, to go this long without teaching after being used to it for the, the past year. Um, it's, it's one of the highlights of my week. But I thought if I can find a couple guys to bring alongside me to help me run the well, then that could be a pretty cool opportunity for them to get some experience in running a ministry, not just teaching. Teaching is a big part of ministry, but it's not the only part. If some of these guys would come alongside me to help me run the ministry, they'd get experience, and it would help them learn how to teach on a more consistent basis rather than just doing it every once in a while. So now that I've explained all that, my news is that I've, I've asked Zach Tiber and Nick Roth to step into this co-leader role starting right now. You guys all know Zach and Rachel. They've been serving in various capacities around our church in the worship team, on, in kids' ministry, helping out around the well, and they're both faithful ministers. And Zach's expressed interest, and I know Rachel's still with him. She hasn't left him yet, so she doesn't hate <laughs> his interest. He's interested in serving in vocational ministry someday, and that hasn't scared Rachel away. They've both finished MTT, and Zach's going through LFBI classes, and you guys all know Nick. He's been part of our church forever. He's been involved in ministry with the worship teams for a long time, and he's led the worship team at the well for years. He's also finished MTT and is currently going through LFBI classes. Both of these guys are Bible students. They're both capable teachers, and they're both natural leaders. And Troy, our pastor, agrees with me that they're the men for the job, and I have every confidence they'll be successful in this new role as good ministers. So if you see them up here teaching on a more regular basis, that's why. We're still working out all the details on how this is going to work. We're still working on like what, what a schedule is going to look like. It's not my goal to dump everything on them right away because, um, you know, it's not like they're both coming from not having a life to... to this being their life, like they've got other stuff going on, and so we're kind of working through that, those details, but man, I'm excited about this. Uh, and I know they're excited about it, and I hope you are too, because I think it's going to be a cool thing, um, and I think it's going to be good for all of us, um, man, because, yeah, what I, would, what I didn't want to do is pull people from other ministries where they're serving, like there's, there's plenty of people who would have been a good fit for this, but if they're already involved somewhere else with a type of leadership responsibility, then, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to pull people and, and harm other ministries, and so these guys, like, they're here, and it makes sense, um, and, and I like it, so I'm excited about it, so this is going to be fun. Cool. <clears throat> um, so we don't have a third worship song tonight. That may or may not change. That's up to you. Um, we'll, we, we have to talk about that yet, but um, we don't have a third worship song tonight, so I'll pray, and then we can uh, be dismissed from there. God, I thank you so much, um, man, just for your word and for how simple it is and how you just lay out to us. If, if, if we just hold to your word, man, we can be capable, effective ministers for you, not because we're anything, Lord, but because you're everything. And Lord, I just pray that uh, man, as we stick and hold to your word, that you would just continue to use it to guide and change our lives so that we can be used by you and have effective ministries uh, in, in our church and in our community and, and in the world. Uh, Lord, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do, and we thank you for this opportunity coming up for Nick and Zach, and I'm, I'm looking forward to working with them. And uh, I know 
Trish is excited about working with Rachel, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be fun, Lord. And so I just pray that you'd, yeah, keep us moving forward. Keep us focused on what you have for us so that we can, we can be used by you. Uh, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.